Welcome to the Vinny's Voice podcast, a service-based podcast brought to you by St. Vincent de Paul. In today's episode, we're talking service after service with veterans in our community who work for a variety of nonprofits and local businesses and how they transitioned from military service to serving veterans um, who are coming off of uh, transitioning out of service themselves. So with that, we're going to go around the table and let everybody introduce themselves. Hi, my name is uh, Melvin Niles. I was uh, in the United States Army as a combat medic. I served between 2006 and 2010, and I was deployed to Iraq for 15 months. I'm Jason Doherty, uh, formerly United States Marine Corps. I served from 2002 to 2010, and I served twice overseas in Iraq. Is that good enough? Uh, also a Marine Corps veteran, served with uh, 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, uh, 5th Marine Regiment. I was a uh, machine gunner. I uh, had two deployments between 2010 and 2014, and uh, I'm currently the SSBF program manager. Stephanie McLaughlin, T5 Industries, uh, Air Force, 94 to 98, uh, Marine spouse, Marine former spouse ongoing, and mother of two military children. I am currently opening a cafe to uh, welcome veterans home into the clinic and uh, into our home community. My name is Patty Twombly, and I am a 20-year military veteran, um, and uh, I come from a military family, so it's kind of the company's business, our family business. Um, I was a medic in um, the hospital, and then also we were overseas in 91 when Desert Storm first started. And two branches. And two branches. Yeah, I'm sorry. I, I did 12 years in the Air Force and I did eight in the Navy. Nice. Well, that kind of covered my first question right away, which was going to be talking about everybody's uh, personal uh, story with the military, their personal service. Um, so you guys kind of all did that in your introductions. So with that, we can kind of roll right along. So kind of the way this is going to work, we have so many guests here today. I was actually only expecting three at most, but this is great. The more people, the more perspectives we can talk to and we can bring, all the better. Um, I'm just going to go around the table and I want to just ask everybody, what, what's uh, just kind of an icebreaker to get everybody kind of warmed up here. Everybody already kind of did their um, military background there real quick, two second. How about this? How about just one real quick personal story from the military that you remember fondly? That's that's a good one. That, that, that's kind of put me on the spot. The, the first thing that comes to mind is the uh, the day that my commander walked up to me and he was like, "Melvin, you see that? You see that field right there? I see volleyball courts." <laughs> And he tasked me out to go make some volleyball courts and I had to go back to my commander. Uh, I was like, hey, sir, <clears throat> the trees that they have here in the desert have been here for hundreds of years. We can't just rip down some trees. And so uh, I was able to get us out, get my team out of that work. <laughs> and that's the funniest, not the funniest, but one of the first things that comes to mind. That was out like on a deployment. He was yeah. like, you know, I think we need some volleyball courts. That was like the weirdest. He just like walked out of his tent one day and was like, Niles, see that field right there? I see volleyball courts. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, uh, yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah. All right. Uh, work appropriate story. There we go. Yeah, yeah, work appropriate. So I was just talking about this yesterday with somebody who was being from Southwest Michigan. Um, I'd never seen like movie or TV shows depicting California, mm -hmm. except Northern California, the mountainous areas, obviously. But uh, my, my interpretation when I went to NCRD San Diego is like, it's California, it's beaches and sunshine and surfers everywhere, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, through boot camp and SOI training after boot camp, I can't tell you how many times I ended up somewhere just freezing my butt off somewhere in like November, January, February in California. And I remember the first time it happened, I was just sitting there and I just like felt lied to growing up in <laughs> Michigan. Or I was like, I didn't, I thought that it could get cold in California. I like hadn't like registered as a, as a thought in my mind. And just the first time we're sitting on the side of a hill, just 
shaken, freezing mm-hmm. at like one in the morning, and the drill instructor was like, none of you can put on any warming layers. This is going to toughen you up. I'm just like, what did I, what, what are we doing here in California? Come on, I'm not supposed to be 70 degrees, 70 degrees and sunny all the time. Beaches and palm trees. Yeah. yeah. No, I've done, I've done a few different training rotations in California at um, uh, Fort Irwin at the, um, what do they call that? The freaking NTC, the National Training Center, and that's up in the Mojave. And yeah, that place sucks. California sucks. <laughs> so I, it gets cold too at night. Like when it's, when it goes, the sun goes down, it gets so cold. Yeah. It could be like 100 degrees during the day and then 60 degrees overnight. Learned that about the California desert as well. Yeah. Uh, it can be uh, 120 degrees during the daytime and then the sun goes down and all of a sudden it's 30 and yep, the wind kicks up. And yeah. I went from all within 12 hours from sweating, having to chug water to now I'm wrapping myself in every warming layer possible and trying yeah. to freeze over the night. Absolutely. Let me, uh, real quick, let me just adjust our game here a little bit. Was that in your um, That was 29 palms. Do you have a nice anecdote for us? Uh, unfortunately, on two counts, A, my, my service was nowhere near as interesting as y'all's. Uh, I don't have interesting stories. And the second reason I wouldn't is because I was Intel. <laughs> so I can't talk about a lot of what I did. But uh, I... Um, well, you can. You would just have to afterwards. Oh, for not, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Jason Bourne movie. Yeah, actually. Yeah, right here. Based off of <laughs> Stephanie. Hardly, hardly. I wish. I wish I had something more interesting to say. Uh, but I I will say my proudest moment, and I, honestly, it all feels surreal from the day I joined until present day that I had the privilege of serving our country and serving with people like you. So... Um, the wonder doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that probably my proudest moment was uh, waking up the morning on November 10th, 2000, saying, wake up, Jeff Clark, you're going to be father today. Mm-hmm. And we're still friends today. So irrespective of the march of time, Mm-hmm. And the change that we've seen since we were young and bright-eyed and optimistic and mm-hmm. hope. Um, more, more hope, not that we don't have some now. Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, uh, it's just an honor. Yeah. I'm not done. Mm-hmm. Nice. It's good. Yeah. I'm Patty, and um, I came in in 1985. Um, so we prepared to uh, go to war if we went, and nowadays it's when you go. Um, but um, when we first started out, it was uh, we worked in an emergency room and we get somebody new, and we kind of did a little bit of hazing, you know, be like, can you go down to the lab and get me some fallopian tubes? And they go, or you go to the pharmacy and give me some dehydrated water and just ask the yeah. and they'll, they'll do it, you know. It's just, yeah, oh, it's I love those. Because we work in medical, but once in a while we have to have humor and mm-hmm. everybody understands our humor as medics yep. uh, and nurses. So um, for me, that was <laughs> that and the bottles of saline, we punch a hole in the top and then fill it with liquid nitrogen and then seal it and throw it and it would in, mm-hmm. the, dark, in the dark. So uh, we had a lot of times on our hands in the ER so at night, so uh, we had to make our own fun. Yeah. But yeah, and the, but also my one was when we were in England, Desert Storm happened and we left our base and we went uh, over to set up uh, air staging facility mm-hmm. for 300 uh, soldiers that were supposed to be coming over. Um, big hangar. Uh, if they couldn't get help right there in that theater, then we had to send them home. Or if we could, we sent them to the burn unit or we would send them to medical or whatever we needed to mm-hmm. um, and, and try to get them back out to the front line. So. Yeah. You said a couple of things there that just got me going. One, talking to people um, who served in that in the 80s in the Cold War era. Um, it's it's so crazy because I know so many people who are like old timers from that day who trained so hard because they was always like the if, you know, the unknown. Right. 
Uh, and now it feels like nowadays with the, the post GWAT era veterans, like you, you, the training is still hard, but it's very specific and it's very like, you know what you're kind of training for. But back then you didn't really know you had no idea. So you just trained really, really hard for the unknown. And that's something I've heard a lot with a lot of eighties era, cold war era veterans. I don't know if you guys have like heard the same thing from them. Like they just went crazy hard because they didn't know. Right. Um, and I can't role play unless I'm physically in it. So, yeah. You know, for me, it was just like, oh, I don't know what we're doing, you know, but um, yeah, I, I, I can't role play ahead of time. I just have to be in that moment and go. So, right. Um, or not go. Yeah. Either way. The other, the other thing about the hazing made me laugh because, yeah, that's that is so true. Whenever it's the new guy, you know, and he's like, hey, get me an exhaust sample or you give him a hammer and you just go like, hey, test the tank for, for soft spots, you know, and you just got this guy hammering the side of the tank for no reason just because it was they were told to do it. And you're like, yeah, just check it for soft spots, you know. Yep, yeah. That checks out. Yeah. <laughs> give him a plastic bag and, hey, get me an exhaust sample or, or uh, you know, go, go ask so and Sergeant so-and-so for the grid squares, you know. <laughs> Things like that, yeah, it's that's classic. It's um, bonding. We bond afterwards. Mm -hmm. We laugh together, not at them, but mm -hmm. yeah, so laugh, but yeah, together so, we would laugh. Right. Well, with that icebreaker there, I think everybody's kind of loosened up now, so we can talk. I want to talk a little bit. Like everybody's talked about their service, and we had a nice little talk about you know a story from service. But let's kind of transition to transition and coming off of service and then now finding ourselves in whatever various positions we are helping veterans and serving veterans. Um, Melvin, our own Melvin with the SSVF, you want to start us off? Uh, what's the question again? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Transitioning from service to now serving veterans. Uh, transitioning from service. So um, in service, uh, I think, you know, with my time spent overseas, uh, we did a lot of things and seen a lot of things. I was putting some environments that maybe I didn't necessarily agree with, but, you know, I had orders, I had a job to do, um, and I was a medic over there. And so my, my goal, my role, and my mission personally was to help save lives. I wanted to save people's lives. And I found myself in positions where um, we would need to um, not render care for people. And that was, I think, the most challenging for, thing for me. I, I can remember an experience where um, we had a we had a mother with a with a child um, that was hit by one of our mortars and had more than fifty percent of burns on the body. Mm -hmm. And so, as a medic, I'm like, "Hey, how can we help? Um, I know this child needs antibiotics. It's not going to survive long if we don't administer these antibiotics to this child. How can we get can we get an FLA over here? Can we? How do we get um, assistance? And I remember my commander was like, nope, we got to turn this person away and they need to go. Mm -hmm. And so there was always this threat of, of um, people bringing in demolitions, um, hurting, hurting the team. Um, so we were wary of that. But I, I remember clearly turning this mother and child away with my rifle. And that was, that was hard to do. That's something that sticks with me a lot. And I bring that story up because I want to talk about some of like the invisible wounds that, that soldiers get. I don't think um, every soldier or every military veteran has um, the same story. I, it's not quite like the movies. Um, you know, um, everyone might think it's like Rambo, First Blood, and we're going in and we're um, uh, killing people and then we come back with these kinds of wounds or we're in danger somehow. Um, I think... Um, some of the wounds that you bring back are from the things that you have to do um, while you're out there. So when I returned, I didn't even know I had PTSD. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, being depressed and I remember um, knowing I needed help. And I also knew that I couldn't ask for help. I was a sergeant at the time and I was uh, responsible for a medical team. In addition to my own unit's team, I was a line sergeant at the time. I had uh, responsibilities and I was not in a space where I needed to let my command know, hey, I need help. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, it, it, I was worried if I said anything then I could lose the opportunity to work with my team. Mm -hmm. So I kind of kept that under wraps for a while. And I did try to, I, I remember a couple of times I snuck out to, when I was, when I was back at stateside, I snuck over to, um, 
I think it was uh, it was BAMC. The it was it's the medical clinic in uh, in um, maybe that's Madigan, but medical clinic in North Carolina mm-hmm. at Fort Bragg. I'd sneak over there, and I'd get in these lines, and I'd do these like secret counselor meetings. And I got moved over to Fort Lewis after I had a couple meetings, and I never started again. Got a new new unit, a new team, and I just never addressed myself. So when I get out of the military, um, I get married, and I decide that um, I want to be a nurse, and I'm going to go to school to be a nurse. Um, and I still had those. I still had PTSD. I had um, anxiety um, and depression, and that would come out for me. Um, I could be at a um, I could be at a red light, and then all of a sudden my fingers would get numb, and and I could my heart would start beating, and I'm like, dude, I don't even know what's going on, and I and I couldn't even um, park the car, right? And so I knew I needed to do something about this. Um, that led to me working too much. I took on so I was going to school, and then I just I had a family at the time, and I had a mortgage, so I decided I was going to quit school and. Um, Take, a, take on a job in construction. So I started working there and doing 80 hours a week. And it seemed like the more I worked, the less I had to deal with me. And so I just poured myself into work. And that lasted for a few years and I burned myself out. And then my family kind of fell apart and that led to divorce and that led to the breakup of the family. And that ultimately led to me being um, becoming homeless. So I have a... I have an experience uh, where I was, I would be at work and then I would just, I wouldn't care if I got fired or not. I'd try to do things to get fired. And, mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe that they wouldn't fire me for the things that I would do at work. Um, I'd just show up whenever I wanted to and right. that sort of thing until um, um, I just left work. And then I went uh, and then I uh, just didn't pay the rent for a while and got evicted. So, um, that point, I met a veteran though. I was uh, pushing my car um, while I was homeless. I had a car and, I had, and it broke down, and I was pushing it. And I saw this this guy with big giant arms, and he had his his head was shaved. And I was like, "Hey, you, need your help? Get over here!" Like I was still still kind of like I was homeless, but I was still kind of like Sergeant Niles in that moment. And uh, come over here, I need your help. He comes over here and he starts helping me push his van. And he's like, hey, are you, uh, are you in the military? Are you a veteran? I'm like, yep, combat medic. He says, me too. So we instantly bond. He's like, hey, what? I-, I noticed you got some things going on with your life right now. Why aren't you talking to the VSO for your VA disability rating? You served in Iraq, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I said, yeah, but I was in this spot in Iraq. And I was like, yeah, well, you were um, in a location that was um, the most heavily mortared area in Iraq right mm-hmm. like well yeah that's true <laughs> um so you've got some wounds that you got to deal with i'm like well i think you're right and he, he what he did was he directed me towards the vet center and the vso and i started working on a va disability rating and i didn't want to do the vet center i didn't want counseling um but in order to get my va disability i had to go to counseling mm-hmm. which was the greatest thing that ever happened to me going to counseling right I'm glad I had that opportunity to go into counseling and start working on myself so that I can get my VA disability rating, but more importantly, so I can kind of rebuild myself. Mm-hmm. And based off that experience, I, um, I uh, w- gotten, I started doing these other jobs and then I um, heard about uh, work at the veteran treatment court as a vet- veteran mentor coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took that position and that's when I first started working with veterans and um I really appreciated um, the ability to um, share my lived experience. Like, what did I go through um, with other veterans that might have been experiencing PTSD? And how can I help? How do we help people put lives back together? And that was my first taste of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really uh, motivated me to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found a position here at St. Vincent de Paul, Supportive Services for Veteran Families, um, it was a really interesting connection because part of the work over at the Veterans Treatment Court was how do we get veterans um, in a place where they can do treatment, right? So if if housing is a part of that, how do we help you get housing? And that's how my relationship started with St. Vincent de Paul because of this great program that we have in supportive services. It's a housing program, it's a rapid rehousing program, a homeless prevention program. If you're a veteran and you meet the income threshold, then we can help you with housing. 
So that's how my relationship started with SSVF. I would help, try to help connect veterans here. Eventually, I took a job here because so I, I really found a passion in, in doing that aspect of the work with veterans. Um, and that's kind of how I got started, and um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. Nice. Sweet. Jason. So um, my work with veterans um, took a very long route to get to where I am now. Um, kind of like what Melvin alluded to um, during his service, my service was the same way. There was some trauma um, that I experienced uh, deploying twice to Iraq. Um, I was in a combat role. I was in the infantry 0311. Um, so I did some things and I saw some things that um, in retrospect probably should have been addressed and dealt with earlier than they were. Um, but kind of as Melvin alluded to when, when he was sharing is it wasn't really addressed during my time in the Marine Corps. Um, it's just not something that we talked about. It's not something that um, was really on the forefront of people's thinking. Um, it was just kind of, you know, kept it quietly to yourself. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, um, I spent a good 10 years of my life uh, kind of living, reliving that trauma uh, on a regular basis. And having never properly addressed it, you know, it led to all the um, typical things that you associate with people who don't address trauma. It led to addiction. Um, it led to um, bad choices. It led to what I call chasing of chaos in my life. You know, I was more comfortable in a world that was in, you know, disarray and chaotic, and most of it was of my own creation. Um, and that eventually led me getting into trouble with the law. Um, and I, uh, I was given the opportunity about four years ago, five years ago almost now, uh, to actually enter into Veterans Treatment Court here in town in Lane County um, to address some of the issues that I was facing and the trouble it led me to. Um, and I was able to get clean and sober while in that program. Um, and I realized for me personally, the biggest thing um, that was a benefit to being in that program was being around veterans again. I had for so long um, kind of secluded myself from the veteran community. You know, I, I always considered myself a vet and, you know, I, I was very proud of my military service and my time in the Marine Corps. And I still maintained contact, maintained contact with the people that I served with. But on a day-to-day -day basis, on a week-to-week -week basis, I was, I was not connected with a community of individuals that I felt comfortable with anymore. And um, being around veterans again after such a long time, uh, it was really eye-opening to me how beneficial it was to me personally and how beneficial it was to the other guys that I was going through this program with. And um, I realized when I when I graduated that program and I, and I kind of took that next step in my uh, evolution that um, working with vets would not only be fulfilling to me, but it would also selfishly be a great career choice for me to help me stay on the path that I currently was on, which was a healthy path, um, a relatively successful path, a path that was keeping me out of trouble. Um, so I actually knew Melvin from his position uh, with Veterans Treatment Court. I actually now hold Melvin's old position, so I can thank him for that. Um, but during that time, I started volunteering with an organization here in town called Veterans Legacy. Um, and after uh, finishing my time volunteering with them, they were gracious enough to offer me uh, a paid position with them. So I, I jumped at the opportunity um, and then kind of full circle. Um, I, like I said, took over Melvin's old position shortly after he left uh, working with veterans that are currently going through the same thing I went through. They have some type of substance use disorder. They uh, dealing with homelessness. They're dealing with getting in trouble with the law and having, you know, the criminal justice system involved in their life. And um, I figured, you know, what better way for me to give back to the resources that helped me so much is, you know, giving my time to guys that are now currently in, you know, the shoes that I used to be in. So um, it took me 10 years to get where I am today. Um, I'm 15 years now. Um, but it was, uh, it was a long convoluted path to get here, but it's not it's not one that I would trade for anything. You know, it's, it was uh, a lot of ups and downs and a, a lot of negativity um, during those 10 years of being lost, but it gave me the insight and the understanding of how I can better serve veterans that um, I have shared experience with. So yeah, that's kind of my story and how I got started in it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for telling um, Zach, also with SSVF. Well, I'll talk to Paul. 
Yeah, that was, a, that was both really good. Um, yeah, so I got out older early in 2014 with the uh, like verb, like voluntary early enlisted something so I could start school in the fall. Um, first got out, you know, it was all about figuring out a degree track that's going to, you know, make me six figures, right? So started going to community college under the like, hey, I need to go chase the paper uh, kind of mentality. Um, you know, first got out and, you know, still had that Marine Corps, also infantry mentality of like, you know, I have to occupy every hour of my day. So I was working the two jobs and going to school full time, didn't need to be doing the two jobs. And anyway, transferred to the University of Oregon, um, business major, um, you know, struggling with, you know, my own, at the time, didn't know it, didn't want to call it, or if I did know it, I didn't want to put a label on it, but, you know, my own PTSD, depression, alcoholism was, it was my, you know, big issue, you know, something I still have to be cognizant of today because it doesn't take much to launch me down that path. Um, got up here, you know, I think one of the turning points for me was, uh, social inequalities 209, um, at UO and it was the first time I'd ever been exposed to, you know, social inequalities, uh, kind of the, the systematic factors in this country that help perpetuate a lot of the, um, you know, oppression, uh, discrimination, uh, a lot of those kind of institutional barriers that, that people face. And it was kind of, and that was a point in my life that I'll always be able to point back to and just be like, that was a turning point for me because um, very next quarter, I switched over to uh, sociology major. Um, uh, come graduation, actually, one of our case managers currently on the team was working at Sponsors, and you know, it was kind of like, so what are you going to do after school? And I was like, don't really know yet. Um, so he, at that time, there was a Sponsors GPD uh, case manager, which works with veterans. So I went and interviewed for that, got hired over at Sponsors, uh, working with the veterans over there. Uh, really grateful for them for that. Um, you know, I think that job was what really opened me up to the serving those that served kind of mentality, right? Was, um, you know, I, I know me and some of the other folks I served with kind of right when we first got out for that first couple of years, um, you know, there's kind of like that scene from uh, Talladega Nights where Ricky Bobby's just standing there like, like, what do I do with my hands, right? Um so I think, you know, for my first couple of years in community college, that was definitely true of me, right? I mean, you, you can look at my transcripts and you can see just me flopping around like different stuff and taking different stuff, trying to find my way. Uh, fast forward to graduating, started working at Sponsors. Uh, St. Vincent de Paul had somebody uh, pass away unexpectedly, which created a, a shift and a position opened over here. And uh, the work that I'd been doing with veterans there, I was gonna be able to come over here and do that on a countywide level, a bit more macro. Um, and, you know, going off of what Jason just said, I think, you know, for me, it was this work still provides me with a sense of fulfillment and purpose. Right. I'm working uh, for others. Right. That that makes me feel good. So, you know, I don't, I don't think we should call it selfish, but, you know, I think that's good. Uh, you know, it's just self-awareness. It's a, good, it's a good way to describe it for me is, you know. Yeah. So it's like, hey, I'm not carrying a, you know, 240 around you know, the Hellman province hooking and jabbing with the Taliban, worrying about stepping on, on IEDs anymore. But, um, you know, we, we still are out here fighting for folks, right? Might have traded in a weapon for a keyboard and a pin, but, you know, make, make no mistake about it. We, you know, we're still out here fighting for, for other people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think with that lived, lived life experience being a veteran, you know, I mean, there's more than 17 million veterans in this country. And I'm a huge believer that, you know, they... Their military service wasn't the only thing that they have to offer this country. Um, so I think those 17 plus million folks, you know, have a lot that they can do for this country if we're able to, you know, help those that need it. Mm-hmm. So just boiling it down essentially just to sense of fulfillment and purpose and meaning. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's something we're all looking for, right? And, yeah. and, and hopefully you find a job that uh, allows you to check those boxes and still mm-hmm you know, allows you to survive in the current economy. Yeah. I think, I think you're hitting on something that a lot of people who, who spend any considerable amount of time in uniform feel, regardless of if they deployed to Afghanistan or if they were 
in the green zone in Iraq or never deployed at all. I think a lot of people get out of the service wondering like who they, you know, their personal identity. Um, you get some of your best experiences, I think in the military. Um, and you make some of your best closest friends you're ever going to make and getting out. I think a lot of people are like, well, who am I now? You know, who am I without that? But I think you're right that a lot of people have a lot more to offer than just their military service. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So, right. Guys don't make it easy. <laughs> no. I just repeat all the things you said just in the jumbled order. Yeah. 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 Well, one thing that uh, any veteran has to get used to over time is always when you're in the presence of other veterans that you're going to be humbled by the service of others. So I'm just going to accept that right off the bat. Um, my transition didn't involve uh, having had a combat experience before we just played at it. I was a Korean linguist. I got to visit the DMZ and see things most people don't get to see. I got to actually cheese off a North Korean guard. <laughs> I accidentally putting my hat down on the table where they do negotiations, the only table they do negotiations. So, um, you know, I was the Mr. Bean of <laughs> my unit, clearly. But, um, and that's, you know, like my life, I have just basically survived a bunch of a series of scrapes or gotten lucky a lot of the time. So um, I, I've actually been lucky enough to work with Veterans Legacy very little bit. So it's cool to see that overlap. But my pathway to meeting them um, is too embarrassing to tell quite <laughs> yet. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Dan Buckwald is an amazing gentleman and uh, his service has inspired our community to to donate land to create the jobs and you know it was inspiration for what I'm doing today so um, are you guys doing sauces yet from your garden can I can I start not yet serving we're, them yet? we're working on it okay yeah, it's, it's a work in progress all right well I don't want to do it alone and so you know I guess I did walk in here today to you know find out where I stood with others who are transitioning and um, so anyways back to uh, the the transition from military to civilian it doesn't happen overnight and it usually takes a decade or longer and we're never really civilians again but I can convince myself some days that I can pretend so um, I think that there comes a moment of peaceful resignation with service and whatever that meant um, whatever affiliations we have with that word, whatever connotations it carries. Um, that, it, you know, there were a couple of years for me where it felt like a burden, where my past service had been a burden that had slowed me down. Um, there were years where uh, I needed, um, I needed more guidance from civilians than they could give me. And so I could only find the guidance I needed from other veterans who found their way. That's great. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, as hard as our civilian partners and um, friends and family members try, they, we speak a language they don't. As a linguist, I can say that. We speak a language they don't, and it's not fair to them anymore. So there are certain things we can only get from each other. But the benefit is we take it back out to our civilian communities. And the tools that we get from the Vet Center, from SVDP programs, or even going to the VA clinic itself, end up paying dividends back in our community that um, are not necessarily uh, quantitative, but qualitative and immeasurable mm -hmm. yeah. by that standard. So that, that just feeds back into the hope that keeps us all sustained. Mm -hmm. So you give us a little and we'll make it a lot. <laughs> and I've never seen an exception that rule with the area. Absolutely. Yeah. And you hit on something really good. Um, I mean, like in the military, you you have a very clear career path of like, here are the boxes you need to check to get to the next level of your career. And, you know, you want to get to that next rank, that next position. Here are the things you need to do. And in the civilian world, that doesn't exist. There is no roadmap. And I think a lot of people get out and they part of the problem with the struggle is finding their roadmap and not having that clear 
set path of like, you do this, this, and this, and you will be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I'm not gonna say it's easy to be successful in the military, but you know what you have to do. Um, So I think you kind of hit on it a little bit. And I thought that was a really good point um, that was worth worth kind of circling around to. Um, All right, you want to close us out? I'll close you up. Um, Like I said, I was in the military for 20 years. My dad was in 27. So for me, Mm -hmm. I only knew military life. Um, But I know when I got out, I didn't realize that all the things that I could do in the military did not equate to what I could do in a civilian job. You know, be like, because a lot of people don't understand a military person or our missions. Um, So when they're changing somebody's IV bag and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it was empty. I'm changing it. Check the order. It's continuous. He's like, you can't do that. I'm like, why? Because you're not a nurse. So I'm like, oh, what am I doing? I'm just an aide. So I went back to school um, so that I'd be able to do that. But um, my dad passed away after two years of taking care of him. And then I took a year off just to replenish my banks, my compassion banks, my empathy banks. And I was looking through and I found this job with St. Vincent DePaul. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what is this? I had no idea these programs were out here. So I'm like, let me apply. and they accepted me in. So really, when I talk to veterans, I think sometimes they like another veteran to speak with because we do have that language, we do have that culture, but we also have other people with live experiences that we can all draw from when we're going to talk to this veteran. But I think a lot of the selling point is a veteran is helping a veteran. And and that's our job is to just, vets helping vets. I'm not doing this for the paycheck. Because um, I could go out and make two times what I make now, but the reward for me is getting somebody else and letting them know I see you and I hear you, and how can I help you? Mm-hmm. So that's my goal when I go out to my veterans. We we kind of already um, hit this, but and I'm going to open this to the floor. You know, whoever's got you know feels that like they've got a good answer for this or they they have a thought on this, please feel free to just raise. But um, what is one of the greatest challenges you all see facing transitioning veterans? The ability to ask for help. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I face is, as kind of all of us have already alluded to, we there's this expectation while you're in the military. It's very structured. You know what is expected of you. You know how to obtain that next rank. You know how to get the, the job done, the mission complete. Um, but when we leave the military, that structure is is gone. And if... If we don't have the self-discipline to maintain that structure in our own life, it kind of just goes by the wayside and it, it a lot of times ends up leaving veterans lost. And the ability to then ask for help or ask for that assistance um, from either other vets or civilian agencies, that is a huge barrier, I think, for most veterans. And it takes an extreme amount of negativity or uh, negative occurrences in their life and it, it takes them getting into a pretty bad state of, of being before they're willing to ask for that help. So I think um, convincing veterans to um, reach a handout, ask for assistance before it gets to a point where they can't handle it on their own is one of the biggest barriers. And I know that was a huge barrier for me. Like I said, it took it took me 10 years and, and essentially reaching rock bottom in order to ask for that help. And then once I did, and I received that help, it was the most eye-opening experience. Like, why hadn't I been doing this all along? You know, mm-hmm. I, we, we, we like to think that we can handle it all on, our, all on our own. But the reality is, in the military, we don't handle it all on our own. It's a team effort, and we're only as strong as our weakest link. Um, and it's, it's, it just blows my mind that, you know, my own case and, and other situations I've witnessed, that it really is a struggle for vets just to reach out and ask for help before it's too late. And yeah. uh, that seems to be a huge hurdle for way too many individuals. I find when people are uh, getting out through the transition week where they try to help you transition from the military world to the civilian world, but it's not a very good program because they really do not set you up to be successful once you go out, out into the community. They don't tell you all the things that you need to do. There's help at the VA. There's, you know, these things, these things are all out here. 
for your help. And we care enough to tell you these things because we want you to be whole. And I'm gonna send you over here and maybe they can help you with funeral help or something like that. But yeah, for the most part, they do not prepare veterans to come back into the world. It, it really feels like a, a check the box, one size fits all sort of program, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, sorry. I was going to say, yeah, I think to that point, um, when you first get out, I mean, we, we, we are trained and we're, we're physically training all the time. We're good to go. We are at 110% when we get out of the military. And so I think the challenge is, is even if you go through um, this exit training and get set up with a, a job somewhere or have a career path outlined for you, if you decide to take that information or not decide to take it information, we're still at 110% when we get out because we're, we're getting up in the morning. We're going to be at that morning formation. We're going to meet that, that um, platoon sergeant and we're going to figure out what we're doing for the day. And that's every day, right? We're, we are there on time and doing it. And when we get out, how long can we keep that up? And so I think that's where the gap is, is there's a time period. Is it three years? Is it two years? Is it 10 years? When do, does that soldier break down? Mm-hmm. How, can, how long can they survive? And to, to Jason's point, um, asking for help, incredibly hard. Just like Jason was describing, you've got to wait until you're completely broken down until you're even willing to admit defeat. Um, that's part of the the, the army um, motto. Hey, never accept defeat. Mm-hmm. And so, how do we then ask for help? I think it's super important to have um, mental health services available here in the state of Oregon. I think we rank 51st in the country. It's really not good, and there's not a lot of services available. And uh, um, you know, I, we work in this uh, in SSVF, the Supportive Services for Richard Families program, working, uh, helping people find housing or retainer housing. <clears throat> That's one piece of it. But if we can boil it down to the what's that square root? What's the root of this situation? It, it's that mental health piece and how much services are avail- available and are people willing to take those steps? Um, but they can't even take those steps if it's not available. One of the challenges in this community is um, trying to help a veteran connect with mental health services and there being a slot available to do that, do so. Um, you know, mental health services takes time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen overnight. It didn't, it didn't, getting to where you are today didn't happen overnight. Um, so the unpacking, the work, the tool belt, the, the skills and tools that you can put in your tool belt. Mm-hmm. to work on the emotions um, and addressing um, your experience and your trauma, that takes a lot of time. So I think one of the biggest challenges is, is that mental health piece here in, here in the state of Oregon, yeah. at least. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I got out in 2014, it was, uh, I think it was uh, Monday through Friday, eight to four hour lunch in the middle. Uh, hey, you've decided to get out. Here's Uncle Sam's uh, crash course in how to adult and live uh, now that you're going to go be a civilian. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you compare that to the amount of money and time and training that they put up and put into me up until that point, uh, it's it's a drop in the it's a drop in the bucket compared yeah. to the Pacific Ocean. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's like, hey, now that you've decided to leave, here's this course right here's that check in the box to say we didn't just you know dump you back where we found you um you know there's an academic paper sitting on this table over here that talks about you know the deadly gap that first year of transition getting out of the military um there's a lot of variables that go into it um you know i think some of it's not being comfortable asking and then i think there's also a component of you don't know what you don't know Mm -hmm. right i mean i talked to a lot of veterans that uh until you find yourself in a position to where you need to go acquire new information, right? SSVF, I never knew these programs existed. Like, yeah. um, and then there's the, you know, say I see it a lot, but the guys I serve with too, I mean, call it toxic masculinity or, you know, whatever label you want to put on it, but that just internalized, um, I don't want to ask for help because then I'm going to feel like I'm weak or, you know, I wasn't, I couldn't hack it. So, you know, try not to view that as, you know, weakness or mm-hmm. trying to push through those feelings of like shame or embarrassment that might come up when you're, 
need help. Um, and that way you can be proactive about it instead of reactive. And that's where, you know, as great as a lot of these programs are, they are reactive, right? Mm -hmm. If you're walking in the front door right now, the, 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 the crap's already happened to you, right? You're walking in this door with a need, right? So we were reacting to something that already occurred. Right. We're not being proactive about it. And that's where, you know, something I think active duty military on the exit strategy, mm -hmm. um, could do that you know again marine corps infantry we were not big about uh hey let's sit down and talk about that traumatic sorry uh traumatic uh operation we just did or that firefight we were just in or hey this vehicle was just hit by an ied like let's sit down and talk about it it's mm -hmm. nope push it down in there and you can <laughs> so, sort that out later there's so. a great i think i think it's frederick Douglass quote that is like perfect for this this thought process is that it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I think if the military um, did a better job of, like you said, being proactive in providing those mental health services um, before guys transition or, or men and women transition out of the military, um, kind of nip it in the bud beforehand. Because like you said, it, you don't know what you don't know because you don't know. So um, if, if there was more of a mindset of, addressing these issues with the expectation that they most likely will arise in the future, then we can nip it in the bud before it becomes a problem that's out of hand and out of control. And you're just, like you said, reacting to a problem now instead of being proactive about it. So. Yeah. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll even take it back to the front side of the military apparatus too with the recruiting process. You know, I, uh, you know, I was somebody that came from a low income household that not that I signed up for college, but you know, I viewed the military as among other things, a way to get me out of mm -hmm. Southwest Michigan, right? This, this might provide me some upward mobility uh, in this country. Um, and I know when I got out, when I went home, uh, again, that was another decision I can point to, to come back to California after I went home. Um, cause I got, got back to where I was and I'm like, everybody's still doing the same crap as when I left four years ago. And I identified within 30 days that if I stay here, it's only a matter of time before I get dragged back into what I was doing before I went into the Marine Corps. I'm going to wind up in jail or prison within the next couple of years. Um, so, you know, even the returning home piece, right? You get out of the military. Where are you going back to? Mm -hmm. Right. What tools are you bringing with you back into that community? Are you going to be supported in that community? Right. Because I know laying in there, um, I didn't have anybody I served with within, you know, a couple hundred miles of me. Whereas when I moved back to Central California to start going to school, um, you know, I had five different guys that I served with and deployed with that, you know, we'd go hiking um, in Yosemite. We'd meet up and we'd take the dogs to the beach, right? So I had to put myself back into an environment where I still had that support, um, that I had people I could lean on. And I've been very fortunate and lucky and privileged to have, um, you know, never quit, never quite hit my rock bottom, but definitely careened towards it a couple of times. And again, I was fortunate enough to have people around me to call me on that and be like, hey, man, like I know where you're headed right now. Um, I'll forever be grateful to those people. Yeah. So that seems to be like a common theme too. Is is just a veteran picking up a veteran, you know, and, and putting them where they need to be, you know, which is what I think is one of the great things about this program is that there's so many and other programs too. There's so many veterans in those programs, you know, um, to kind of throw out the life raft, um, mm -hmm. you know. And I think veterans are more likely to, to take it when it's being thrown by someone that they recognize, you know, um, just to, for me with counseling, um, mine came like seven years after I got out, I didn't realize I needed counseling. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, you need counseling. I'm like, why? We're stressed. I'm like, oh no. You know, all right, I'll go. Eight years later, I was still seeing her. So there was a lot that I had stuffed down and couldn't admit that I needed some help. So mm -hmm. there's no shame in counseling. You know, it, it can only make you a better person. Okay. Mm -hmm. Leaving that, you know, I had a misconstrued idea, partially because of like Hollywood or TV shows, right? Because like some of our squad leaders had fought through like Ramadi and Fallujah. And, uh, you know, so like I kind of had like that comparison thing in my head where, hey, I don't have PTSD as long as I'm not waking up sleepwalking, clearing my house in the middle of the night, or as long as I'm not waking up screaming or, you know, and, I, you know, you have that extreme side of the spectrum and you know once i finally started going to counseling they're like oh bro you ptsd manifests itself in a lot more ways than just a and it's relative <laughs> right? nightmares yeah. Yeah. you know it's Absolutely. very relative to the person's experience and you know that's funny that's a very gwat like era i think 
compare what you just said, comparisons at 0506, where the fighting was really hot in that one particular area. And then everybody else is comparing their experience to that one window of really intense fighting. Um, which, which to me, that goes back to like, not, not wanting to ask for help, right? Mm-hmm. Cause now I'm, I'm, I'm comparing myself to, Oh, I don't have it as bad as this person, yeah. or maybe I have it better than this person. And it's like, well, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Right. And then are you willing to like push through that uncomfortable piece and then ask for it? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, that, 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 that was a holdup for me for a long time. Yeah. And I also think when for veterans, uh, their upbringing, childhood, uh, comes into that veteran when they're deployed and stuff like that. And you could send five guys to the same place and experience the same thing. And the five guys will have five different stories to tell about it when mm-hmm. they have different dif- difficulties with things like that. So um, a lot of that kind of, br- you bring that with you in your duffel bag. Yeah. So. How people react to the same stressor, you know, um, you know, we, I think everybody, we all seen that where one guy, we're all going through the same thing, but one guy just, either he handles it a lot better or there's the one guy who handles it a lot worse or isn't able to handle it. And, you know, so, yeah, I think it's relative to the person. Um, that kind of gets us to our final question. We're going to have to close out with this one. Um, but what is, what do you guys believe is the biggest misconception the public has about veterans? I'm going to go off of what you just said before that. And I think that's a big um, misconception I run into a lot of the time is like, especially from, civilians that haven't had a veteran in the family or didn't serve themselves is that, uh, again, and I blame, put a lot of this on Hollywood. Uh, but the fact that just like, I've talked to people and, you know, you listen to them talk and it's like, Oh, every veteran has PTSD and, and everybody's been to combat, right? It, like everybody must be the guy that I saw in the American shooter movie or, you know, Mark, Mark Wahlberg from the Navy SEAL movie. Right. And it's, it's like, no, you're, you're really, you're really minimizing everybody's military service outside of those jobs. And there's such a small percentage of people in this country that actually did those jobs. And again, it's a, it's a sweeping generalization to say every veteran that comes out of the military has, you know, PTSD or there's something wrong with them. And I think that's where I place a lot of blame on, you know, I don't think the movie industry or the TV industry has really helped with that misconception of, you know, I look at a veteran and like, like, oh, were they damaged goods? Like how, like how, uh, you know, is this like, if, if I dropped a staple on my desk right now, is this guy going to like flip the desk over and launch himself into the prone position, you know, and just kind of that, like feeling like you need to tread around, uh, people. Mm. Last one. Oh, the other thing I hate is when people ask me if I've killed somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just for everybody listening, don't <laughs> ask a veteran <laughs> if they've killed someone. None of your business. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that to me goes back to that like Hollywood misconception of like, we just think everybody that was ever in the military was SEAL Team 6 and a sniper and, and recon and just everybody must have killed somebody, right? And it's like, right. like no, no. Well, then you get these guys, yeah, then you get people who, who feel like they have to make up a story, you know, and they have to have some crazy thing because that's what the people expect, and, yeah. you know, and it adds to the problem. Well, and we're the medics, so we put them back together, you know, and- well, and then it creates for, for all the other jobs that aren't those, then it creates that like unhealthy, like atmosphere of like mm-hmm. now you're, now again, you're comparing yourself to, well, I wasn't infantry or, oh, I didn't do this. And mm-hmm. it's like, it doesn't mean your service didn't come with some stuff, right? Absolutely. It's like, you don't need to have been in the infantry to have had a traumatic there's event. A, there's a lot of trauma that comes with military service that has nothing to do with combat, whether it's, you know, being deployed away from family for eight months at a time, missing the birth of children, you know, missing key significant events, missing the deaths of family members. I mean, there's there's so much more trauma that can be found in military um, experiences that has no relationship whatsoever to combat. And I think that's something... Me personally, having been a combat Marine, that is my experience with my trauma. But having worked the last couple of years um, with veterans uh, and a large percentage of them that aren't combat vets, yet they still carry this trauma, whether it's military sexual trauma, um, it's you know PTSD from uh, simply receiving you know bodies coming home from a combat theater and being the ones that have to process those bodies incoming and, and send out death notifications. There's... There's all sorts of um, experiences in the military that that are laden with trauma that have no combat attached to them. And I, and I think that is something that the public should 
um, do a better job of understanding and learning about. So, and, and you yeah. shouldn't have to have gone through that to deserve or rate services, mm-hmm. right? So like that shouldn't be the litmus test of, exactly. of oh, you, you were there and you fought through Fallujah. Great. Let's, here's all these services. Mm-hmm. So. Back off that is what we were talking earlier is that uh, a lot of my veterans will be like, but I didn't see action, I didn't shoot, I didn't dodge bullets, you know, I'm like, yeah, but you still have trauma because the guy that you have breakfast with every day before he goes out on his run thing is not there this morning. That's trauma for you. You don't have to chase a bullet to have trauma. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's one of the greatest... uh like one of the biggest problems in the military, if you're in a military family, if you have a marriage, the divorce rate is so incredibly high in the military. Those deployments, they really affect your family life. When you return from service and you come back to a divorce and a broken family, not only do you lose your purpose from leaving the military, now your family life Where's the purpose there? Because now I'm in a broke, this home is broken. So how do you pick up the pieces after that? And that's that's a tremendously traumatic experience to go through. Um, and I think that's probably equal to combat PTSD. Um, mm-hmm. If you have no peace inside and you have no purpose in your life anymore, what are you going to do and how do you pick up the pieces if you don't have your unit here and your first sergeant telling you what to do yeah. <laughs> to pick those pieces back up? I mean, you got guys or, or, or women too who who get that that um, dear John letter or that that notice of divorce while they're overseas, or mm-hmm. and it's like they can't do anything about it because they're thousands of miles away, and you know it's just they can't they have no control over the situation, mm-hmm. and it's no, crazy. Time, no time to process it or, yeah. or mm-hmm. deal with it. You just gotta suppress it until you get back home, and then yeah, hopefully face it. But mm-hmm. yeah, so yeah. So, well, uh, that's all the time we have. We, uh, we laughed, we cried, we, we told some good stories and I think, uh, we, it was a very good, honest conversation and it's a conversation people I think need to have more often than people need to hear who are not in the veteran community. So I want to thank everybody who came, came down and, um, those who, who didn't necessarily plan on being in a podcast today, who, who, who stepped in. Um, that was really awesome. So real, real quick, before we finish, I've got three minutes left real quick. Um, real quick on, uh, what is SSVF? What do we do mm-hmm. or what do you do? Um, and, um, how can people find you? SSVF is a program for veterans who are in danger of losing home, their homes or are meet the definition of literally homeless according to the HUD standard. So we have federal dollars available to help. Um, veterans pair up with a case manager, create a crisis plan, figure out how they're going to get back into housing or keep the housing that they have. They just have to meet the eligibility criteria of veteran um, below 80% AMI right now um, and um, literally homeless are in danger of losing their home. Um, I have a great opportunity to work with our community here too uh, as a case manager working for SSVF. Uh, that case manager has the ability to connect that veteran with all the different resources in this community. It really does take a village to help with families, and um, and it's uh, so it's you know I put a lot of um, put a lot of um, uh, effort into connecting that veteran family, not just with housing resources, but with that mental health resource, with that um, social support resource, with the um, income resource, employment resources, a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason, Veterans Legacy. Um, so, Veterans Legacy, uh, you can go to veteranslegacyoregon.org. Um, it's our website. Uh, we um, work with housing homeless veterans here in the um, greater Lane County area, um, really all over the state of Oregon. Um, you can reach out to us um, at our website. Um, we are also uh, associated with Veterans Treatment Court. Um, Veterans Treatment Court uh, is an extension of adult treatment court. Um, They're popping up all over the country for any justice involved veterans, veterans that are facing um, situations in the legal process. uh, I always encourage them to talk to their public defender or their lawyer uh, about the potential of joining a Veterans Treatment Court program. Um, It is a wonderful program that uh, addresses the issues that led that specific veteran into um, 
the justice system, and it gives them the opportunity to address those issues um, instead of going to jail or going to prison. Uh, it's more rehabilitative uh, program um, where we get to the core um, crux of the issues that led them into the criminal justice system rather than just having a revolving door of veterans coming in and out of uh, incarceration. So. Awesome. Thanks so much. This has been the Vinny's Voice podcast. If you'd like to learn more about St. Vincent de Paul, you can visit us online at svdp.us. If you're considering donating, please check out our donations page. Thank you very much. We'll see you next time.